Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. I've uh, been a minister, I think, probably for something like 28 years. It's a long time, isn't it? Come on, talk to me. It's a long, long time, 28 years. And um, I think I was just reflecting the other day that over that time I've been the pastor and the senior pastor of five different churches. And the tax man hasn't caught me yet, so hallelujah. (laughs) Five different churches, five different communities, five different sets of people, five different visions, five different sets of expectations. And uh, during the course of that long period of time, and you may think it's, you know, just a, a blip in the ocean, it's a long time, 27 28 years, I've realized something, and I I think it's something that has come more and more to the fore in my life, that it's really important for us as human beings to receive and to experience the life that Jesus promised us. And that life has to come with the attachment of true, godly, biblical discipleship. I think we have lived in a vacuum of authenticity in many, many categories in the church for a long, long time. But I want to remind you of this, that God knows where you live. That's a good thing, by the way, because you might forget. (laughs) At some point, maybe we will, but God knows where you live. He knows who you are. He knows who you are when everybody tells you you're somebody else. He knows who you are when the world criticizes you for being what you are. And he knows how to reach you. He knows how to reach you. I always love this about Jesus. He communicates in everybody's language. He has this wonderful ability to touch people in the heart of hearts, beyond words, beyond even, you know, wonderful things that people might say. God has the capacity to find you and to reach you and to touch you in the deepest parts of your life. And so for us as Christians, those who profess to be followers of Jesus, We must recognize that the very fact that we're called followers mean that Jesus is moving. That God is always moving. Now, if Jesus would just say still, I think our lives would be a lot easier. If Jesus was perhaps a God who was statutory or or static in some way, then perhaps our lives wouldn't be as complicated as they sometimes appear. But God is always moving. He's always on the move. And and here's the big problem with that. If I am not moving with him, then by default, the gap between where I am and where he is gets bigger. And I can try and fill that gap with all kinds of religious activity, but it's never going to satisfy. You see, the Bible teaches us not just to be filled with the Spirit, and we all love that as Pentecostals, but we must be led by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit... God's Holy Spirit leads us more and more into the life that Jesus has achieved for us. And without the work of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit, without our obedience to both, we're not going to fulfill the dream of God's heart for our lives. And you know, I don't know if you know this, but God has dreams for you. The Bible calls them plans, but I love the word dreams. There there are things in his heart that he would long to fulfill in your life. How about this? He would love you to be free. Now, I'm not talking about the freedom we sing about. I'm talking about where you're at peace with yourself and God and the world. He would love you to be free. Wouldn't that be good? That's a dream in the heart of God. He would love you to be fulfilled. Three of us are waking up to this. God wants you to be fulfilled. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we fill our lives with all kinds of things, don't we? But the only fulfillment that really lasts or is substantial enough to satisfy is found in relationship with God. I have searched everywhere to find that fulfillment. There is only one who can satisfy the cravings and the longings of my heart. And it's not him or her or this or that. Those things are temporal and temporary. But there is one who is eternal. His name is Jesus. And when I find him and he finds me, there is nothing more satisfying than intimate relationship with God. In fact, that's the whole reason 
Jesus came into our world, that he could restore for us that which we all crave for, which is intimate relationship with God. So God wants to fulfill you. His plans, his dreams for you are to prosper you. And can I just speak to that for a moment? That's not about material possessions. I know we've taken this scripture and we've made it about what we can get this side of heaven. But you know, there's another scripture that counterbalances it and we need both. It says, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? When God speaks of prosperity, he's talking about that inward reality, the shalom of his presence, the fullness of his joy, the greatness of his goodness. You see, you can have the world and not have that. And you can have that and not, not really care about having what the world has to offer you. I know that Jesus wants to fulfill your life. I know that he wants to satisfy you with good things. Amen. I know that his intention today before any of us spoke was that somehow, in some way, we would connect with him. Because when we connect with him, life makes sense. In fact, living outside of that connection doesn't make sense at all whenever you have been given. And here's what the Bible says about this. A new and living way. We are given this new and living way so that it we make all things new in us and cause us to be fully alive, fully awakened and fully aroused to the reality of God. This is what Jesus died for. And he tells us over and over again in so many different ways, but my favorite one, and I always land there when I think of the future and all that it could or could not be. And sometimes I'm downcast and disappointed and disillusioned like everybody else. And I remind myself of this, that Jesus did not come to give me religion. He did not come to give me routines. He came to give me life. And he came to give me life that was so good, so great, so amazing. All the other things that tempt me would fade into the background. You see, God's purpose today is that you would be fully alive to Jesus. He is awake with that intention. Are you awake for that reception? He wants you to be fully alive in Jesus. He desires that you are so fulfilled that all the other things, all the counterfeit loves of your life fade and disappear because you found the real thing, the pearl of greatest price. Can someone say amen to that? And the Bible teaches us that if we find that pearl, listen to this, we must sell everything we have. In other words, we must consider everything we've known, everything we've experienced, everything we have accomplished as nothing in comparison to the pearl of greatest price. We want what God offers us, which is eternal life. So over these 27, 28 years, I've been in different locations, but I think I've had the same call on my life, and that is to bring people to connection, to intimate connection with Jesus, to see them become fully alive. And do you know why I want that, why I trust God for that, why I believe for that? It's because that's what happened to me. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I didn't go off on some spiritual pilgrimage trying to find truth. I already thought I had truth. I already thought I knew what life was all about. You can't grow up in the environment I grew up in and not have worked out some things. But you know when Jesus found me, let me tell you where Jesus found me, in the back of a Catholic church. When I was hiding from the police. Oh yes, that's me. Hiding from the police. And the only place where I could find peace from the chaos of my life that was happening around me, and it isn't even do my doing, I was just caught up in it, was at the back of the Catholic Church. And the reason why I went to the Catholic Church is because that was how I grew up. We went to Mass. We went to the Catholic Church. I didn't know other churches were available. Other brands were considered a possibility. I only knew this one place. And I used to go on a Sunday evening and sit at the back of this Catholic Church. There was about six or seven people at the Mass. And I would feel the, the peace of God in a world for me that was so chaotic he was my refuge and my strength. And God began to work in my life to such a point that when I came back to this country, and I couldn't even afford to pay my own way back. My brother Larry, who sat there, went down to meet me at Fishguard from the boat because I didn't have a penny to my name. He put petrol in my car and brought me back home. That was the mess that I'd gotten into in my life. But in the mess, there was a message. In the mess, there was a truth. God began to speak to me about his reality. And I found Jesus at 24 years of age. In fact, Jesus found me. And I'd love to tell you that I woke up the following day and I was as wonderful as I am. 
I was just like you, broken, needy, desperate, lonely, rejected, abandoned, forsaken. All of the things that we all feel, I felt them too. But he who began a good work has carried on and carried on and carried on. And trust me, if you live with me, I am definitely not the finished article. There is so many mountains to climb. And as I get fatter, they get bigger. You know what I'm saying? There's so many mountains to climb because there are so many things yet to see fulfilled in my life. But God promised me this all those years ago, that he would never walk away from me. He would never stop loving me. Amen? That his heart would always be for me, even if my heart wasn't always for him, that he would have an intentionality about the way he related to me. And I find myself now saying all of that because I want to tell you that this morning we're going to come to a subject that I find really difficult as a person. I find it difficult for all kinds of reasons. I hope you'll be patient with me as I take you through a discipline that I think is so needed in this hour, it should be shouted from the rooftops. I want to talk to you about the discipline of simplicity. One great Christian writer said this about simplicity. Simplicity is simply freedom. Imagine that for a moment, that you are living internally and externally such a simple life. Imagine that life in the context of a complex world. What a treasure you would be to those around you if you lived untouched by the chaos and the carnage of society. You just were you to the best of your capacity. Simple. Simplicity is freedom. Listen to what they also said. This is another statement. Duplicity is bondage. So the opposite of simplicity is duplicity. And let me tell you about duplicity because it will drive you mad. The Bible says this about those who are duplicitous. Those who are double-minded become unstable in all of their ways. And you know what, church? I don't mean to be rude because I suffer with this. But I say all to Jesus, I surrender and go out tomorrow and buy something I don't even need. I say all to Jesus, take my all. My, I lay my life on the altar and then somebody grieves me and I want revenge. Hello? And we wonder why our lives don't make any progress. Why we're not moving deeper and deeper into the purposes of God. That kind of living is a bondage. And yet we have this legacy of Christ above us that says who the Son sets free will be free indeed. The same writer, Dallas Willard, writes these words. He says, simplicity brings joy and balance. Joy and balance. Why joy? Because when I am not caught up with a system in this world that has to have everything to feel something, and I am at peace with God and at peace with myself and at peace with my world, I have joy. Not a joy that's circumstantial that comes when something good happens to me, but a stronghold of joy that abides in me, that determines my responses to the world around me. A joy that is a strength, a joy that is a comfort, and a joy that's always present even though life sometimes can be difficult. And balance, what is balance? They used to criticize people who wanted a balanced life. Do you know why? Because I wanted an extreme one. Oh, people say, you need balance, Simon, when I was a young Christian. I need balance. I, I, need, I need adventure. I need to see the world. I need, I need God to do great things. But you know, as I get older, I start to come to terms with the fact that life lived in excess will probably cause you to recess spiritually from the purposes of God. You need balance. You need quiet as much as you need stimulus. You need stillness as much as you need noise. We must have a balanced life. A balanced life is a good life. Here's another thing the same writer writes. He said, duplicity brings anxiety and fear. Gosh, I've been mulling over in my mind over the last number of weeks and months. What is the greatest spiritual battle that we face in the world today? And it would seem to me it's the battle for our minds. Just about every conversation anyone seems to be having 
is from that position of having this incredible concern and anxiety concerning their personal internal world. And the world has come up with all kinds of fake ideologies to help us be free from the anxiety that seems to be gripping our soul. This is what it says. Mindfulness is a good thing. And I don't mind those kinds of theories. They're good, but listen to what mindfulness looks like coloring in. I went to somebody whenever we were going through a hard time and they said, you know, for therapy, I think you should color in. Well, that's fine if you are the kind of person that doesn't mind coloring outside the lines. But I was more wound up by the coloring book than I could possibly tell you. Another thing that people are doing for their anxiety now is knitting. Do you know if the world keeps going the way we are, we're going to have a scarf that can go around it five times. <laughs> click, 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 click. And the whole point of these exercises is to move you away from the internal anxieties and pressures and focus on something that looks suddenly somewhat mundane or ordinary. There's a massive battle for the minds of our young people. A massive spiritual war over society for the way we think. And we need to wake up to this. This is not just a phenomena that's come out of COVID. This has been a, a personal attack on humanity from our enemy who seeks to destroy people's lives. If he can get your mind, he's got your life. And in stark contrast to those realities we're all facing, this is a wonderful truth that says this, that God would keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on him. If you want to practice mindfulness, practice this. Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever thing is excellent, these things think upon. You see, of course, our minds are meant to be full of something. And that something is a someone. They're meant to be obsessed and saturated with the reality of who Jesus is. So simplicity, the discipline of simplicity, seems counterintuitive to all of us in society because we celebrate our complicated lives. You know, if we're not running ragged, we don't think we're making a difference. <laughs> if we're not buying all the things everybody else says are really important, then we're not really making our way in the world. If I don't have Gucci, Fiorucci, or whatever it is that's the latest thing, I'm not really cutting it on the fashion front. And of course, nobody will marry me because I don't have Gucci shoes on. Or will they? And if they do, if they only marry you because you've got Gucci shoes on, walk on by. That's what I would say. Because those boots were made for walking. <laughs> the world is superficial. Hello? And we're caught up in it night and day, day and night, bombarded with all kinds of invitations to engage with it in all kinds of orchestrations. And yet we come in here and we say, God, will you... Fill me with joy. Will you fill me with peace? I want to suggest to you there's probably very little room left inside of you for God to do something profound for you. Even Pastor Becca, the holiest person I know, she's agreeing. She's ever so humble. Ever so humble. When she wanted to be still and she planned to be still, she found that she could not be still. Why? Because you may stop your physicality, but you can't stop the parade that goes on in your head. And our minds are flooded and filled and bombarded with all kinds of images, all kinds of concepts, all kinds of truths. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29 says this. This is going to come as a bolt of lightning to some of the dramatists amongst us. To some of the divas and the divers to those who love to catastrophize all things and see life as this high-octane complex reality, this is what Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29 says, God made man simple. Thank you for coming. <laughs> and man's complex problems are his own doing. 
God made man simple, and man's complex problems, well, it's down to them. It's their doing. I watched a, a documentary yesterday on a program that I grew up with in the 70s called The Good Life. Does anybody remember that program? No? It was one of those programs that you either loved or you hated. It's a bit marmitey. And um, it was a program about a posh couple who lived in a posh suburb who decided to go off-grid. I think that's the current term. They decided that they wanted to deconstruct their life from all the complexities of materialism and in the back garden run a farm. I think the thing that interests me about it the most, it was called The Good Life, was not the sitcom because I had seen it many, many times. I think, you know, it's one of the most prominent ones in the 70s. But this was the, the, the commentator, his response to this particular program. He said, of all the sitcoms that existed in the 70s, and we know there were good and bad ones for all kinds of reasons, this is the one that he believed as a producer could easily be marketable and profitable to be reinvented today. And, and he commented about that because there is this desire in the hearts of humanity for a simple life, an uncomplicated, simple life. Isn't that what you're looking for when you go on holiday? Isn't that what you're trying to escape whenever you go for a walk in the countryside? Isn't there a part of every human being that just wants to be at peace with themselves, with God, with those they love and the world around them? Aren't we all looking for a simple life? I think Jesus lived a very simple life. It says he had one garment. One garment. He had sandals. It says that he ate not in the posh restaurants where the Michelin stars are propagated, but with ordinary people, ordinary, uncomplicated food. Does anybody remember that? In my house, that was Irish stew. We all long, I think, if we're truly honest, for a simpler existence, because life has become very complex. It's become very... It demands so much of us in so many, many ways. You know who put that desire for simplicity at the heart of your DNA? God himself. And his hope would be that somehow we would come home to live in relationship with him where that is a reality. Imagine a life that was so simple. It didn't matter whether you had the latest this or that. Who cares? I'm at this wonderful stage in life now where what I wear is irrelevant. There are two criteria to my wardrobe. Can I get in it? <laughs> criteria number one. And the second one is really important. Does it need to be ironed? <laughs> so this shirt is a favorite of mine because I mean you could drag it under a car and it wouldn't change shape. I mean, you could puff this up and it might be a nice balloon ride over the city of Birmingham and it would never, the seams are like they're robust. This is one million percent polyester, this shirt. <laughs> one million percent. And I want to tell you now that right now, because of that, there are rivers of living water <laughs> that are moving around and about the crevices of my body. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh, that is within me and all that is upon me. Bless his holy name. <laughs> another version of the same scripture says this and this is uh, Ecclesiastes again it says this is all that I have learned God made us plain and simple but we have made ourselves very complicated we have made life very complicated so what is the discipline of simplicity? To live in that space, in that place where we're not defined by other people's realities, but 
we're at home with God and ourselves and our human state and our need for Him. Where we have no appetites that need to be satisfied by external things because our appetites are being satisfied by Him personally. That simple life is not a pipe dream. It's not a wishful thinking. It's the very reason Jesus came in the first place. That all of the chaos of this world, for those who follow him, will become a distant memory. Even though we're living in the midst of it, we will have peace which surpasses all understanding. And to have a simple life, we need to have an internal simplicity. We need to declutter our soul of all manner of things that vie and scream and pull and demand our attention. We need to make ourselves smaller on the inside if we ever want to be greater in the eyes of God. I think it was John the Baptist who used this phrase and we misquote it so many times. He says this, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's not John beating himself and saying I'm a terrible person. Here's the truth of what he's saying. If I truly want to live the best life I can live, I need as much space in me available for the one who created me. I must get rid of everything and anything that contaminates or indeed contradicts or constrains what it is that God wants to do for me. Because if I don't do that, I will never see the fullness of Jesus Christ living in me, in all his purity, in all his holiness, in all his glory. I must deconstruct my life. I must declutter my soul. I must make sure that my mind is not filled and preoccupied with all kinds of things that I'm chasing, counterfeit things that do not satisfy me. And when you find the real thing in God, you know you can see through all of that stuff. It's just stuff. The problem with all of us is that we like stuff. And the problem is when you get stuff, you need more stuff. And then you need a bigger alarm system to take care of the stuff that you bought. Because the stuff that you have will consistently never fulfill what you want. We go out and we buy more stuff. Do you know one of the biggest pandemics in this world is online shopping? People shop for things they never wanted, they never desired. In my house, there are boxes of things that are ordered off the internet. I come home and it's like a cardboard factory. This bag and that bag and that bag. And the wonderful thing is you can send it all back. <laughs> we never had that luxury when I was a kid. If you bought it, you were stuck with it. You can send it all back. Our lives, listen to me, our lives are so full of things full of things and the problem with all of that is if only if only they satisfied then we could excuse them because today's brand new Mercedes is in 40 years a breaker in a yard where people are going to buy the tires and the wheels off it and if you're living for that if your whole life is about attaining that I'm sorry to say this, but you don't really have the right to say you're living wholeheartedly for Jesus. There are two reasons why I think we live requiring and demanding all of this stuff to quench our appetites. The first one is spiritual, the second one is sinful. Which would you like first? Sinful. I knew you would. <laughs> Here's one sinful thing that drives our lives. Are you ready for it? You probably don't have a problem with it, but for the benefit of your friend who couldn't make it this morning, listen up. The one thing that drives our lives in this direction where we have to accumulate and accomplish and all of the things that we think are going to make us feel more important or, or more um, interesting or whatever it is we're doing is our ego. Your ego, my ego, is a sinister thing. It wants what it wants. And here's one of its biggest problems. It wants to be seen. A friend of mine, um, many years ago, bought a whole bunch of Domino's pizzas. Do you remember Domino's? Do they still exist? 
And uh, I remember visiting him, and good-looking young couple, nice couple. She was beautiful, he was handsome, very fit. This is the one that tried to train me to run around the park. It's the same guy. Do you remember him? And I went off and had a McDonald's after we finished. Do you remember that? That story. And he just had this beaten-up old car, and I said to him, you know, you've got like five or six Domino's pizzas, you're employing all these people, you're earning all the, this money. I said, why don't you buy yourself a better car, you know? <laughs> and he said this to me, I've never forgotten. He said, do you want to look rich or do you want to be rich? I thought, well, I want to look rich, really. <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, so do you. So do, so do you. I know you do. <laughs> do. Do you know where this turns up sometimes in my life? When we go on holiday to Turkey. Because in Turkey, you can buy counterfeit everything. <laughs> Has anybody been to Turkey? You can buy counterfeit. You can buy all of Amani. You can buy, it, it may not be spelled correctly, but it, it's good. It's got the label on it. I must have about 20 fake Hugo Boss tops. 20 fake ones. Now, <laughs> the, the, the truth is, I mean, they are also 1,000% nylon. That's how you know they're not, they're not real. But the, the truth is, the truth is, you want to look like you're doing better than you do, don't you? Hello, talk to me. Don't you, you want the world to think that you're doing all right, that things are going okay, amen? Oh, you're miserable. Speak to me, talk, talk to me. A number of years ago, my brother Larry was in hospital having a kidney transplant, and I, I went visiting this day, and, and I, I'm not wanting to embarrass his wife, but she's always been a beautiful, glamorous lady and had wonderful things, and, and um, they've worked hard for what they've got, but... We were, were sitting at the end of the bed, and the nurse comes up, and uh, she looks across at Debbie's handbag, which I think at the time was probably a Louis Vuitton, and the real Louis Vuitton. And she says, and I couldn't stop laughing, she said, I've got one just like that. <laughs> I've got one just like that. I bought it at the market in Stourbridge. <laughs> And you know, do you know why I laughed? Because I knew Debbie wouldn't say anything. She's such a lovely lady, you know. But, but we, we, we think we can fake it. So we look like we've made it, don't we? We <laughs> can fake it till we make it. But it, it doesn't work. <laughs> a number of years ago, I'm going to embarrass them today. Larry gave me, for my 40th birthday, we were leaving here and moving to Glasgow. He gave me a Rolex watch. And it was real, OK? It was real. <laughs> They're all going to come and talk to you now, aren't they? They're going to come speak to you now, love. And uh, I remember going to Glasgow, and we were in a city, Glasgow. It's a really difficult part of the city, lots of poverty and all of that. And I wouldn't wear the watch. I would never wear the watch. And Jane said to me, what's the point in having a watch you don't wear? And I said, well, people will think, you know, that it's real. And she says, it is real. <laughs> But here's what she said. She said, judging by the rest of you, they won't, won't believe that it actually is. <laughs> she said, you're going to be all right. Put it on. Nobody would think, <laughs> Nobody would think it's an actual Rolex watch. <laughs> when you're head to foot in Primani, it's an insult, isn't it? It's an insult. Our egos are terrible things. You spend money on cars you don't need because your ego needs to feel you've accomplished. You buy stuff you will never use because your ego drives you to do it. You're in debt in all kinds of ways because you have to look to the world like you're successful. And Jesus offers us an alternative reality. He offers us a simple life, one that's detached from all the pressures of society, to, to fake that we might look that we are. Here's why. You don't need to look good for anybody else because you really do look good to God. His favor rests upon your life. Whoever, whoever's tune you think you need to dance to, I'm telling you, there's a song that's sung over you from a father who delights in you and you don't need any of that stuff. And guess what? When you die, somebody will throw it out. 
Somebody won't even know it was real. <laughs> Yet we, our lives are dominated by that kind of thinking. So that's the sinful part. What about the spiritual part? You know when man was created to be in relationship with God? Everything that man, I mean collectively men and women, could ever want, long for, hope for, believe in, or trust was in that relationship. You know, Adam had no awareness he was inferior to God. He walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. They, like friends do, they talked. They were together. I love this. This blesses me so much, particularly at times when I need to be affirmed because I get it wrong so often. But when God put his mouth over Adam's nose on the dust and he breathed, the first thing he saw was the face of a God who delighted in him. Man's initiation was in love and for love. And from love we should live. But when man and God got separated because man decided to do his own thing, there's a void. And that gap between us and God, we have tried to fill it with just about anything and everything, but nothing will satisfy us. Only Jesus can satisfy us. And I think when I look back at that, I realize that we live like orphans. We don't realize we're fathered by a true and living God. We don't live under the affection of his smile day by day. We occasionally visit a church. We sing a song. We feel touched for a moment. But God is permanently looking at you. And he looks at you with affection and delight. Don't you believe the lies everybody else has said or what the devil is trying to trip you up on. God is for you. God is for you. He loves you. He delights over you. He sings a song over your life. Don't, whatever anybody else says. God speaks truth. And we've got to learn to come home to that truth and live in that truth. And that separation that we try to fill with all kinds of things, it's never going to work. I believe what we're looking for in all the stuff we buy, <laughs> in all the attempts of our ego, is what we have already found in the heart and the life of Jesus. We're looking for love. We're looking to be loved. We're looking to experience love. And we're looking to be satisfied satisfied. The Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says this, I have learned to be content in all things, whether I have much or I have little. What he's asking us to do is to step away from the rat race and live a simple life. Keep yourself small. Keep yourself tight with Jesus. Keep yourself close to the Master. Look into his eyes for every direction and every orchestration of your value or your worth. God would say, look here and you will see truth. Don't look there because they'll tell you a lie. But look here, I will speak my truth to you. Go to Romans 12. We're going to end here now because I'm hot and I need to be somewhere. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Romans 12. Verse 2. I might come back to this simplicity next week if that's okay. Can you endure another week of simplicity? Yes. Okay. No. <laughs> Romans 12 verse 2 reminds us of the tension of living in this world where we're pulled in every direction. Where the external tries to invade the internal. Where society, culture and what considers is considered to be normal, begins to fight against the abnormality of a life that's lived in simplicity. He says these words, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't partner up <laughs> with how others see things. If everybody's chasing the dream, stop chasing it. Let the dream chase you. If everybody's looking for significance by their job title or their education or their reputation or their address, don't get involved in that. Don't allow those things to start to drive your life to make choices that you cannot handle and will not fulfill. Stay clear of it. 
Stay out of it. Stay untangled from it. Because the minute you partner with it, it's sinister and it will take you and hijack you and move you in a direction where you end up trying to be all these things and fail to be the one thing you were called to be, and that is a son or a daughter of the Most High God. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and he loses himself in the process? And so many of us are living lives that are so preoccupied with those things that we have forgotten that the main thing is the main thing and the main thing is always God. It's always Him. So don't get connected to it. Don't fool. When you turn your telly on and people are telling you this is true and that is true and the other is true and this needs to happen, and don't listen to any of it. Don't get involved in any of it because it's not the truth. And you will find yourself partnering consciously or subconsciously with all manner of things that are not the will of God. And I look back over my 62 years of life and I cannot catch my breath how weird the world has got. The world is upside down and inside out. And I don't know if you're young, you don't maybe see it because that's all you've known. But for those of us who've been on the planet longer than 20 years, this place is weird, man. This place is weird. It's a strange world that I live in. I feel like an alien. Some would call me a dinosaur. I get it. But in our secular humanistic society, some things have been permitted that I just can't come into agreement with. I don't find peace in my heart about such things. This world says that this is that and that is the other and everyone just goes along with it and we tick-tock it and reinvent it and repost it. But the reality is we haven't spent time for one second to think about, is that real? Is that true? Does that really matter? Is that really important? Paul is saying, keep out of it. Don't get so connected with it that it begins to shape your internal world. Do you know why? Because if you're living in the environment that the world is setting for you, please, please understand that it affects your internal world. And if you can't live at peace in your internal world, you'll never find peace in your external world. Then he says, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, the way you think determines everything you get. The way you think determines everything you get. I'll just keep saying it until somebody says amen. Amen. Oh, you want me to shut up? Is that what that's all about? (laughs) The way you think... (laughs) I've met people like this before. The way you think... (laughs) determines everything you get. So as a man thinks he is. And if you allow your mind, your thoughts, your internal world to be simple, uncomplicated, living in rest and living from love, if you allow what is inside you to dominate what comes from you, if you allow he who is peace to be your refuge and your strength, your abiding permanent home and always address, then the world around you will be transformed through you. The crisis here is that we've allowed the world to transform us when we were called and mandated by the Spirit to transform the world. But how can I transform the world if my own life is not transformed? I need my mind to come in partnership with my truth. And the mind is a battlefield. And every single day, I have to choose whose report I'm going to believe and what life I'm going to live. Am I going to live a life hijacked by all kinds of of ego-driven or orphan-minded pursuits or I'm going to trust that God is the bread of heaven who satisfies me with every good thing that I could ever want. You see, our world abhors the narrative of more. We celebrate the poor boy who becomes rich instead of celebrating the rich boy who has voluntarily made himself poor. We call covetousness ambition. We call hoarding prudence. We've rebranded greed and called it industry. But at our core, we feel empty. Yet our lives are full. And we need help 
We need God's help to rediscover the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Father, this word comes to mind. Kiss. It's a word that stimulates my mind to understand your affection, but it also is an acronym of how I should live. Keep it simple, Simon. Or really, keep it simple, stupid. And in my stupidity, I have run after all things. In my sense of lack and loss and need to feel affirmed or valued or even significant, I have chased things that I've spent my life paying for. And they've turned out, Lord, to be as empty as just about a suitcase that has nothing in it. And Lord, I ask you to help us as a people in a world that's so driven by excess to become those who are happy with less. I ask you, Lord, to keep us small. Small and simple and uncomplicated on the inside. That our lives would become large and expansive and glorious on the outside. Where we detangle ourselves from all the societal trends for more. And we realize that in the kingdom of the heavens, less is always more in your eyes. We must decrease, Lord, because we need you to increase. Lord, I thank you that your plan for us is to live in kingdom abundance. And Lord, that abundance is peace and joy, your favor, your kindness, and your goodness resting upon our lives. Lord, help us to shut the doors and to unattach ourselves from the things we've partnered with that are lies. For all that so often the world offers is fool's gold. And when we attain it, it doesn't really bring the life it promises. It's empty, Lord. And God help us, we're fascinated by it. We're absolutely besotted by things and reputation and status and position and what we own. God help us. God help us. Lord Jesus, do a work in us where those things matter less and less and less to us. And Lord, here's the antidote to all of that. We didn't get to read it today, but Lord, it comes from Matthew's gospel. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Lord, we're chasing rainbows, but we need, Lord God, to allow our lives to be filled by the radiance of your presence. Will you stand with me, church, please? I declare and decree over your heart and your life that you are not complicated at all. It's not complicated at all. In fact, it's very simple. And indeed, incredibly powerful when we allow God to deconstruct our notions of what makes us valuable and we find our value in Him, we have a peace and a joy and a hope that's unstoppable. Lord God, I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, particularly for myself, Lord, I can't speak for my brothers and sisters in this room or those watching online, would you declutter my life? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be his holy name. If I'm doing stuff, Lord God, that just makes me look good for the sake of reputation, help me to stop it, God. Lord, if I, I'm soliciting affection because I think I have success in some way, Lord, help me not to do that. Help me not to be so blinded to the fact that that just displays my true emptiness on the inside. Lord, if I'm trying to be impressive with people, thinking I know this or I know that, Lord, shut me up. 
Shut me up, Jesus. Because I'd rather be silent and look a fool than to open my mouth and remove all doubt. Lord, I pray for authenticity. Simplicity and authenticity to become my reality. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. We've been run a merry dance by all kinds of notions. We're exhausted in this room, Lord. We're exhausted. Lord, we don't even know how to be still. We're running at a thousand miles an hour trying to get this and do that. And Lord, none of it, most of it anyway, doesn't really turn into anything amazing. But better is one day in your courts, Jesus, than a thousand running around elsewhere. Better is one moment with you than a thousand missions to achieve more. Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, will you settle the matter in our hearts once and for all? Will you come and do something deep in us, Lord God? Because this is what we started with today. If the sun sets free, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I want to say to you, that's not an external freedom yet before it becomes an internal freedom inside you. Yeah. Yeah. Come, Holy Spirit. Teach us how to walk in simplicity, how to live in the joy of simplicity, and teach us, Holy Spirit, how to live from simplicity in a very needy, broken, and sometimes distracting world. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week. And uh, keep it simple. Kiss. Keep it simple.